Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nettling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. As always, the podcast is designed to empower you leaders with guests and topics that will help you grow as the confident leader and take your business or your life to the next level. I'm very pleased to have Mr. Jeff Barnes, Dr. Disney, be our guest today. Let me tell you a little bit about Jeff. He is uh, talks about the very first time he visited Disneyland. He hated it. Who hates Disneyland? He hated it. The experience just wasn't for him. And he couldn't imagine coming back to ride a ride or have an ice cream cone on Main Street. All right, all you children, just cut your, (laughs) close your ears. (laughs) But after a chance encounter with the life story of Walt Disney, Jeff's mind was forever changed about the man and the kingdom he created. He fell in love with Disneyland and became a forever fan of the man who built the empire based on a lovable mouse. Jeff is a Walt Disney historian and author of two best-selling books, The Wisdom of Walt and Life Lessons of Walt, each capturing the detail of this entertainment legend's life and lessons his current his successes and failures can teach us all a motivational speaker and workshop presenter jeff challenge channels his love for disney into engaging life live and virtual oh live what are those jeff (laughs) experiences for audiences helping them learn life's greatest lessons and discover the foundation of the magical destinations that are loved around the world. When he's not giving a personal tour of a Disneyland park or Disney World park, you'll find Jeff exploring local ice cream shops or traveling throughout the United States visiting friends. So our theme today is going to be unlock your own magic, life and leadership lessons from Walt Disney. I'm so excited to have Mr. Jeff Barnes attend, be my guest. Please welcome Dr. Disney. <laughs> oh, so happy to have you. I, I've been looking forward all week to uh, this interview. Love Disney, love Disneyland, love Disney World. We start out with an easy question, though. Jeff, where do you call home? So I live in Riverside, California, which is about 30 miles from Walt Disney's original Magic Kingdom, uh, which, of course, is in Anaheim, California. Mm -hmm. 
and I consider myself very fortunate. I get to Disneyland about once a week, um, and I have an annual pass both to the original Magic Kingdom, uh, but also to Walt Disney World in Florida, um, which is great because I do events both in Southern California, Central Florida, uh, but around the country and around the world as well. So cool. So what does every great story require? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, it's been a little more than 50 years since Walt Disney left us in December yeah. of 1966. And for all of his successes, and he actually had more failures than successes. Yeah. We've forgotten that part of the story. Uh, but for all of Walt Disney's successes, what he most wanted to be remembered for was as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And as much as we as individuals want to chase after the happily ever after ending in a story, Vicki, that's not what a great story requires. A great story requires conflict, difficulty, adversity, mm -hmm. overcoming obstacles. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll recognize we love story, that's why we read books. It's why we go to the movies. It's story that differentiates the Disney parks from every other amusement parks. We love story, but most of us want nothing to do with conflict. And so mm -hmm. I challenge the readers of my books. I challenge the audiences in my keynotes to recognize if you want to level up in life, if you want to level up as a leader, You've got to embrace conflict yeah. and you've got to do the hard and difficult things. And Walt Disney's life was filled with conflict mm -hmm. and he chose to level up and do difficult things over and over again. So true. So very true. And, and so many people will try and walk away rather than try again and again and again. Like the yeah, and I think my my favorite story um, that is sort of foundational and seminal to the Walt Disney story is at age 21, back in 1923, almost 100 years ago now, wow. with his very first studio in Kansas City, Missouri, Walt went bankrupt after only 18 months. It was Laugh-A-Gram mm -hmm. Studio, where he was working primarily with a local dentist creating animation advertisements. And once that first studio went bankrupt, I think the temptation would have been to just give up. I know mm -hmm. I would have been tempted to do that. But instead of giving up, Walt instead decided to go all in on his dreams as an animator. And so rather than staying stuck in Kansas City, he chose to board a train, board a train for California and he boarded that train, Vicky, with $40, a single suitcase, and a one-way ticket. Wow. Imagine, leaders, if whatever your idea might be, whatever your goal might be, whatever you and your company might be trying to achieve, imagine what it would look like if you and your team were to board your version of a train and you and your team were to go all in with that $40 single suitcase, one-way ticket kind of commitment. And Walt came to California, joined forces with his older brother, Roy. Together, they founded a second studio. And today, that studio is the world's largest entertainment company. 
That's so cool. What were Walt Disney's four C's for mastering success? Well, he got asked about that one time. And, you know, Walt never got past the ninth grade in his formal education. Wow. He received a lot of honorary degrees later on in his life. But in terms of actual education in the classroom, never actually got past ninth grade. But he was asked, hey, what do you think it takes to be successful for the average everyday person and Walt said it really comes down to four C's of success. And for mm -hmm. Walt Disney, those four C's were courage, confidence, curiosity, and consistency. And then Walt went on to say that out of the four, confidence was most important. Mm -hmm. And I think for every leader, um, you'll readily recognize there's probably one of the four C's that is a strength for you and one of the four C's that is inevitably some sort of weakness. So for example, um, I excel in curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love asking questions. I love exploring. I always want to know more. I, I, I have no problem, uh, you know, digging in and doing research and, you know, reading up and following up. Um, I can, however, um, you know, find courage to be a, 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 a little bit of a challenge. And, you know, I want to know that it's going to be a sure thing. I want to know that it's going to work out. I want to know that I'm making the right decision. Yeah. Um, but for Walt Disney, you know, those four C's, if if you could nail those starting first and foremost with confidence, then you are on the right path to success. Again, confidence, courage, curiosity and consistency. So you're speaking my language, sir. You're speaking my language. <laughs> well, it's really Walt's language. Yeah. Why was you? Why were you willing to put off brain surgery for a life-threatening tumor, so you could <laughs> teach a course on Disney? Well, this might be um, a little bit contradictory, and <laughs> perhaps that's a C for me. And uh, maybe an example of courage in my own life, but uh, you know, I, um, I I was in higher education for more than two decades, dean of student success, professor of humanities, and as a as a professor, I taught standard type courses, uh, whether it be the first half of U.S. history, second half of U.S. Mm -hmm. history, American government, state and local government. But the class I really wanted to teach, the course I dreamed of teaching, was a college course on the history of Disneyland. <laughs> uh, that was my crazy idea. Um, that was my dream. And Walt said all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Mm -hmm. And it was a challenge for me to pursue that because I immediately recognized that it was a quote-unquote Mickey Mouse idea. And I didn't want to be laughed off of campus for pitching such a course. Um, but eventually I got up the courage to ask, hey, what would you think of this? Because I was working with struggling students mm -hmm. and the principles of success, uh, what it takes to achieve a goal, even what it takes to be a great leader. Those principles are fairly universal. They don't change. But here in Southern California, 
the one thing that folks have in common, the one thing that students have in common is we all love Disney and we all love Disneyland. And I realized, wow, if if I could take something that students already knew, something that they already loved, yeah. and use that as a vehicle to motivate and inspire them to achieve their goal and be more successful in the classroom, wow, what, what would that look like? And so mm-hmm. I wanted to teach a college course on the history of Disneyland, not so I could take students to an amusement park, throw them on a roller coaster, and give them an easy A, I really wanted to tell Walt's story. Mm -hmm. And Walt's story is about adversity, resiliency, overcoming those obstacles so that you can achieve a real level of success and see your own dreams come true. I was given the opportunity. I worked on it for more than a year. The day after I gave the very first lecture, and by the way, that first class, that first lecture was awesome. Because our ideas and our dreams, they matter, Vicki, but not just to us. They matter to others as well. Mm. And then the day after I gave the first lecture, I was diagnosed with a life-threatening brain tumor. And they wanted to operate immediately, and I refused. And the reason why I refused is because, again, the course was all about facing conflict, difficulties, mm. obstacles, and adversity. And I suddenly realized this was an opportunity to not just teach the course, but actually live out the lessons. And so I delayed the surgery for two and a half months so that I could teach the course. Uh, Fortunately, the class went well, the surgery went well. And from there, I would go on to write the first of two best-selling Disney books. And that would launch me into a career as a keynote motivational and inspirational speaker. So very cool. I would have taken that class because just knowing a little bit of about Disney, I, I could just see how there would be so many life lessons in what he what how he lived. Yeah. And and and, and, and it shouldn't be it's a, a life lesson doesn't have to be boring, you know. Well, it, it is fascinating because the park from the day it opened from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond has really been a reflection of either who we are as an American people or who we think we are or wish we were in that particular place and time. And, um, you know, students from all different majors and academic disciplines have found their way into the course and have absolutely loved it. Not because we're talking Disney per se, not because we're going to take a field trip at the park per se, but because it's so multidisciplined and it and it covers so many aspects, whether it's business, whether it's history, whether it's engineering, whether it's mm-hmm. art, uh, you know, Disney touches so many different areas. And I don't know that there's been a larger influence on American culture in the 20th century than Walt. Yeah. If you if you think about it, the creativity and the innovation that he had as well as that the groups that he brought into the organization for their creativity, the the state of the art, the change of the way movies were and the the theme parks how each of those really piqued your interest. But I have a, uh, my sister-in-law's brother worked on 
building some of the parts of the various parks around the world. And just that, the artistry and uh, it's just, yeah. I, I could see exactly how it would help all aspects of people in their business, in, in their careers and, yeah. and inspire. I mean, the way that he embraced uh, television in the mm. mid-1950s, which was the newest, latest, greatest technology. Yeah. Um, and the way that he took his movies and brought us as guests into those stories by way of Disneyland. You know, the Imagineers will tell you Walt was doing virtual reality decades <laughs> before we had heard the term in popular mm. culture. And again, you, you go through the decades and you can follow along with Disneyland and see what's happening in American history and American culture by looking at what's going on at Disneyland. Watch yeah. the opening day broadcast. It's incredibly archaic and out of date and old fashioned because it's July 17th, 1950. 55. <laughs> it's a few months before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the uh, mm. back of a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. And I'm not saying that's who we should have been, but it's who we were. And the broadcast in the park absolutely reflects that. Yeah. And even for those that are trying to figure out, you know, how do you write your story or how do you tell your story or your why? Just look at some of those movies. And, and as you said, you you have to love your character before you'll you know connect with them and and to do that you have to see they struggled that they that they um had a transformation if you will yeah and 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 Walt made the choice to be the hero in his own great story despite a difficult childhood despite a difficult relationship with his father mm -hmm. despite going bankrupt at age 21 despite losing his first successful cartoon character. He would go on to say, we can never forget it all started with a mouse, but it didn't all start with a mouse. Yeah. It started with a little character by the name of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, who he would lose in a trademark dispute with Universal some five years later. And the loss of Oswald forced him to come up with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and then he wants to get into full-length animated feature films, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but nobody thought he should be doing that because he's mm. one of the few enterprises making money during the Great Depression with the short cartoons, i.e. the success of Mickey Mouse. And now he wants to abandon all of that by getting into the amusement park business, which no one thought would work <laughs> to include his own brother and his own wife with most people thinking that Disneyland would be bankrupt, shuttered, and forgotten in six months or less. But Walt was never beaten at anything, and no matter what, he kept moving forward. That was Walt's story, and it needs to be our story if we're going to be a great leader as well. Wow. So after dreaming about it for 20 years... Why did it only take you 142 days to to write your first best-selling book? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, um, I I didn't have a good experience the first time I went to Disneyland. I grew up in the panhandle of Florida and fell in love with Walt Disney World when I stepped onto Main Street USA at the age of 10 in 1974. Kept going back, kept going back, 
kept going back until grad night in May of 1981, was excited to go to Disneyland in August of 88, but I didn't know what I was doing. And we showed up late. It's a Sunday. It's August. We walk in at like 11 a.m. And the newest, latest, greatest attraction, which has been advertised all over California, was Star Tours. And so I walk into Tomorrowland and I was told, well, the good news is you're in the right place for the ride, wrong place for the line. And we're ushered back uh, to the beginning of Main Street USA and would end up waiting more than three hours before <laughs> we experienced our first Disneyland attraction. Um, By the time we get out of Star Tours, um, it's the middle of the afternoon. The park's even hotter. It's more crowded. It was just a miserable experience uh, from start to finish. Uh, but I stayed in California long enough to realize, wow, this park really matters to people. It matters to the locals way more than it does to the residents and citizens of Florida. I must have missed something. And this is where my curiosity kicked in. And I started reading up on Walt. I started reading up on Disneyland fell in love with that story, went back three years later, saw it through the lens of adversity and obstacles, recognizing that age 53, even the great Walt Disney couldn't just speak the words Magic Kingdom and it magically appear out of an orange grove in Anaheim, California. <laughs> and once I knew that story, just fell in love with the original park and I, I knew immediately that one day I would go on to write a book about Disneyland. Now, the challenge, of course, was who was I to write a book? I didn't know anything about <laughs> writing a book. Um, even if I did, who would publish it? Who would market? Who would sell it? Who would buy it? Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. We, we, we get this great idea and then we immediately start <laughs> talking ourselves out of it. Yeah. And so it was 20 years of think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it, put it off, procrastinate, you name it. But once I had the brain tumor and went back to work, all of a sudden I got over myself because I had stared mortality in the face yeah. Yeah. and none of my excuses mattered anymore. No. And I went from 20 years of having a million reasons for why I couldn't do this to 142 days start to finish, writing the first word to sending it to the editor. And it completely changed my life because it became a bestseller to the point where um, a second book based on Walt Disney World was demanded. Wow. So, you know, it, and it is true. Whenever you have that life-threatening facing mortality, as you said, you start to think about, you know, what what legacy am I going to leave behind? Or And all these other things don't really matter. Yeah. Well, and it's another example of how we end up leveling up in our own life, leveling mm -hmm. up as a leader when we face adversity. Yeah. When we have conflict in our life and we we end up better as a result of hard and difficult things. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think, or at least I'm hoping that that's going to be one of the major takeaways from COVID and the pandemic. Yes, it's been difficult. Yes, it's a struggle. No one would wish any of this on anyone. And yet 
I am willing to bet we've made choices and have been forced to do things. Again, not that any one of us would have wanted to, but on the other side, we've got more skills, more options, more flexibility, and more adaptability because, again, we were forced to. And on the other side, our teams are going to be better, our companies are going to be better, and we as leaders are going to be better yeah. moving forward. Absolutely. I always liken it to um, whenever you're going on vacation, you get all that work done that would have taken you three months, but you have to get it all done <laughs> so you can go on vacation and not have to check email. Time is funny that way. <laughs> so I did Walt Disney really when he got on that that train for with only $40 in that single suitcase, you know, why did he just not say, what the heck, I, I should not do this? You know, what what character do you have to have to have that much faith? Or is it not so much character? It's like, I have no other options. Which, where do you think his mind might have been? Well, he had been corresponding with his brother, Roy. Roy was eight years older and both of them had served in World War One. Uh, Walt as an ambulance driver uh, for the Red Cross at the very end of the war. And Roy was, again, recovering from tuberculosis in a veterans hospital. And, and Roy told him, you, you've given it the best that you can. I, I, I think you should come out here. And, you know, the movie industry was moving out toward... California. It was becoming very obvious that Hollywood was eventually going to be the center of that particular industry. Mm -hmm. And Roy had always sort of taken care of his younger brother, Walt. And so I, I think, um, you know, Walt felt as though that was the safer choice. Yeah. It's not, not the safer choice, but the better choice. Mm -hmm. um, he had certainly more friends and family in Kansas City, um, but I, I don't think he wanted to get a job. And and uh, there, we probably have entrepreneurs who are listening right now who can identify with that. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stay stuck. I'm not going to get a job. I'm not going mm -hmm. to give up. I, I'm simply going to go all in. And Roy, Roy up to that point had been selling vacuum cleaners mm. door to door. And the two of them to go together would go on to be probably the greatest brother tandem in the history of American business. Mm. And yet at the same time, they would spend decades fighting like cats and dogs. And I always like say, the real difference between the first studio that went bankrupt and the second one that, again, today is the largest entertainment company in the world, the difference between the two studios is not Walt. It's Roy. Because mm -hmm. Roy kept the second studio from being driven off of the financial or physical cliff. Walt was the creative, visionary genius who had mm -hmm. almost no appreciation for money. Yeah. And Roy kept them grounded, managed the books. And when it came time to build Disneyland, um, he he thought it was one of the craziest harebrained ideas that his <laughs> brother had ever 
come up with. And he called the banks and said, if he comes down there talking to you about that amusement park again, I want to know about it. And he had the studio threatened to sue him over it when he created Imagineering, which was originally called WED, which stands for Walter Elias Disney. <laughs> um, he They refused to allow Walt to use his actual name uh, because it was already attached to the studio. They wanted complete separation because they were so convinced that the operation was going to fail that they didn't want Disneyland causing the studio to go bankrupt as well. Wow. And yet on Monday morning, July 18th, the day that the park opened for the public, the very first person to spend the very first dollar, that's how much it costs to get into Disneyland day one. The very first person to spend the first dollar to get into Disneyland was actually Walt Disney's older brother, Roy. So he eventually came around. Such a great story. And, you know, and a lot of great partnership in terms of husband and wives are opposites and, and they have the long, long, uh, longevity, if you will, yeah. but the brothers do fight, but I could see how having that creativity on one side does need that business sense. Yeah. To well, make and, it and I think there's a, yeah. And there's a leadership lesson here and that Absolutely. is <laughs> don't hire yes people. Yes. Don't partner with yes people. You need folks who have completely different set of skills yeah. and who are going to give you pushback because inevitably your idea is going to be better. You're going to be better and everything's going to be fine tuned as a result. And to be fair to Walt, I've, I've, I've given Roy some um, you know credit here. When Walt died on December 15th, 1966, Roy came out of retirement and his sole purpose from that point forward was to see his brother's final dream come to fruition, which was the opening of phase one Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, they had purchased the land, but they were still six months away from breaking ground. Roy would spend the last five years of his life seeing that project to fruition. It was Roy who insisted that it be called not Disney World, but Walt Disney World in honor of his brother. Roy up to that point had been to Imagineering three miles away from the studio. The studio's in Burbank, Imagineering's in Glendale. Three miles away, Roy had been all of one time. And now he's responsible for everything, not just the financial end, but wow. the creative end as well. But Roy's son would go on to say they were the best and happiest five years of his father's life. Uh -huh. And Roy would get Walt Disney World opened at a cost of $400 million debt-free in October of 1971 and then pass away himself two months later. Oh. I actually went to Disney World in 1972. So and were you impressed? I was. I yeah. totally, totally yeah. loved Disney World. Yeah, because um, I and I and I say land was a dream. World was a miracle. Yeah. So, I mean, just you just went from place to place and it was just I, I you know, you just were in awe. It just was so from an artistic standpoint, I just was in awe of everything that was there.
Yeah. And and Walt wanted to get into urban planning. He wanted to fix the ills of the inner city in the last stages of his life. Mm. He he never stood still. He he didn't believe in sequels. He didn't believe in repeating oneself, which I think is another great leader and life lesson. And that is to constantly reinvent yourself. Yeah. So he starts out as an ambulance driver, then becomes an animator, then a full-length um, feature, a full-length animated uh, feature film producer, live action movie, amusement park operator. And now he wants to get into urban planning. And I, I think a lot of times when we have a level of success, we want to just sort of, you know, sit back and enjoy mm -hmm. that and, you know, rest on our laurels. And the second you do that, you're done. Yeah. And, and Walt was constantly reinvesting, reinventing and pushing the envelope and moving forward. Yeah. So many great lessons. Absolutely. It is time now for rapid fire. So my first question for rapid fire and, and you just this is where you just answer whatever comes top of your mind um just briefly how or and why is disneyland the happiest classroom in the on the earth <laughs> because walt believed in edutainment um yes. if you're not enjoying yourself and having a great time you're probably not going to remember what you've learned so um that that's why I believe in my history of Disneyland class, which everybody can take now online. Awesome. I'm going to take it for sure. <laughs> and I think that's another life lesson, a business lesson, leadership lesson is we need edutainment now, especially for we have five generations of people out there. And and so we need to be able to make sure that what we're teaching in business is something that not only informs, but also educates and entertains. So Correct. we remember it, yep. you know. And you it's okay to have fun yes, every now and then. Yes, absolutely. So I think we talked a, a little bit about this one, but I'll still give it. Why was opening day a disaster at Disneyland? Why? Actually, we haven't talked about it. Oh, this. okay, good. So um, opening day was July 17th, 1955. Um, one of the worst days in Walt Disney's life. It was a day for the press, the media, celebrities, VIPs. 9,000 were invited, but those tickets were easily counterfeited. And anywhere from 28 to 33,000 people crashed the gates. Uh, Southern California was in the middle of a heat wave. So it was 105 degrees in the shade. Mm. Uh, the park was um, not really finished. Uh, Disneyland was built in exactly a year. They broke ground in July of 54. They opened it in July of 55. Uh, every single attraction except for the world famous Jungle Cruise broke down that afternoon. The asphalt on Main Street USA had been poured that morning oh, because geez. of the heat. It did not have time to dry. So ladies showing up immediately after church in their Sunday best stepped onto the street right out of their shoes. Uh, there was a gas leak in Fantasyland. Uh, the Mark Twain, the cast member lost track of the number of guests getting on board. So twice as many were on than should have been. So it nearly capsizes <laughs> in the river of America. Again, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But Walt Disney, in an example of excellent leadership, focused on what he could control, focused on what he could fix, ignored the rest, 
And by Labor Day, Disneyland was welcoming its one millionth guest. That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. So what does Disney do differently that makes the brand, the parks so unique and popular? Tell stories. I mean, that, that's, that is the, the number one differentiator. Um, if you, you have an amusement park, you take out the rides, you have a parking lot. Yeah. At Disneyland, you take out the attractions, attractions or experiences and stories. You take those out, you still have the theme park. So, for example, a New Orleans Square, which was the first new land opening in the summer of 1966, which was also Walt Disney's last public appearance in the park, mm -hmm. that great new land, which opened at a cost of $15 million, opened without Pirates of the Caribbean. That wouldn't come until March of 67. Opened without the Haunted Mansion, which didn't come until August of 69. Didn't even open with the Blue Bayou Restaurant, which didn't open until October of 66. In other words... In a, in a theme park, you can have an incredibly immersive land without any attractions because mm -hmm. of the immersive storytelling, because of the immersive environment, because of the place setting. And I think we as a leader need to recognize we're constantly telling stories. We just need to ask ourselves, what sort of story are we actually telling? Yeah. And then and then secondly, Disney set the standard in terms of hospitality and oh, customer I was gonna, service. <laughs> I was gonna and, say. And, and and people think this is really, really complicated. It's not. Um, Walt hired a gentleman out of the aerospace industry of all places, uh, a fellow by the name of Van Arsdell, France, and didn't micromanage anything. Nobody likes to be micromanaged. Yeah. Um, he said to Van Arsdell, France. I, I'm, I'm creating a magic kingdom. It's going to be the happiest place on earth. I want you to hire, guess what kind of people, Vicki? Happy people. That was it. <laughs> and then from there, Van Arsdell France went on to create Disney University with the training program that has become famous the world over. But Walt's mandate was hire happy people people you can train for skills you can't train for attitude absolutely and i i'm always I, I was in higher ed for more than two decades and i can't tell you how many people i worked with whether they were administrators whether they were staff whether they were faculty who didn't like students why would mm -hmm. you be in education if you <laughs> don't like students or maybe you're in ministry and you don't like people <laughs> or you're in hospitals and you don't like patients. I mean, you know, you've kind of got to be in yeah. the correct culture with your personality and with your profession. Yeah. You know what they say, if you do what you love and what you're passionate about, it will never work a day in your job. <laughs> exactly. So what would you suppose Walt Disney would have thought about the last two years and how would he have taken advantage of it? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I've been very fortunate and honored to be able to do events with Disney legends, uh, folks who uh, were hired by Walt, worked with Walt, 
And they're very sensitive around this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, if I ask them, what was it like when Walt died to a person, they will tear up more than 50 years later. That's how deep that connection is. Mm -hmm. They will also tell you, worked with Walt every single day. We never knew what he was going to do next. (laughs) Um, And so I I always find it difficult because I was born in 63. I was three years old when Walt died. So obviously I never had a chance to meet him or know him. So uh, it's difficult for me to guess what Walt Disney would do when the people who did know him and did work with him couldn't possibly guess what he was Mm. going to do next. Um, Walt was concerned about his guest and he would have done what he thought was best in the interest of guest and guest safety first and foremost. What would that have meant to him? I, I, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but then secondly, um, you know, I'm always asked, well, what would Walt think of Disney today? Or what would he think of Disneyland today? Um There are things that he would hate. I have no doubt about that. And there are things that he would absolutely love. And this I know. Considering the fact that many people, again, to include his own wife and his own brother, thought that it would be bankrupt, shuttered, forgotten in six months or less. The fact that today the sun never sets on a Disney park anywhere in the world, that would thrill him to no and 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 during the pandemic there was a time when the sun didn't rise on any of the disney parks and i think that would have deeply saddened him yeah but i also i don't know in my heart i think with his creativity and his innovation he would have found some way to bring disney in our lives you know and, and we do still have it in disney plus and all that other stuff but but to make the park somehow available to us in some way or something. Yeah. Well, and and to be to be fair to to Disney and specifically Bob Iger, um, you know, Disney Plus premiered in November of 2019, and whoo, what a what a blessing that was to yes. have come March of 2020. Yeah. Absolutely. They were hoping to hit 50 million subscribers in four years. And they got there in like a year and a half. And obviously the pandemic helped that tremendously. So, um, yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, it was, it was tough um, to have Disneyland closed for 414 days. It was just absolutely unimaginable. Now I was uh, still in higher ed teaching state and local government. And um, I I went to Florida and I was teaching remotely over uh, Zoom and WebEx. And I actually gave a lesson from Walt Disney World because Walt Disney World in Florida opened in July of 2020, whereas Disneyland didn't get opened until the end of April of 2021. And the question for my students back in California was, how could I be at Walt Disney World with it opened and our poor park in California is still closed. And of course, mm-hmm. the answer was the difference in state and local government, yeah. which just happened to be the course that I was teaching that semester. So that was a <laughs> that was a great lesson from Disney without me even teaching my history of Disneyland class. So, all right. We only have one more. And it is 
if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? So I'm working on a third book, The Worldwide Wisdom of Walt, which will focus oh. on the international parks and the cruise ships. And I desperately, my number one bucket list trip is to go to Tokyo Disneyland yes. and Disney Seas. Yes. And um, I, I hear that it is amazing, the most immersive theme park experience anywhere in the world. And if you want to experience what Disney-like in Anaheim was like, when Walt was still alive, go to Tokyo Disneyland, which is run by the Oriental Land Company in Japan. So I, I had that I had that trip booked and paid for in May of 2020. And of course, you can figure out what happened to that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to get there, and I'm going to get to all of the Asia parks as a part of my research for the for the third book that will finish out. The trilogy i've been to the paris park um but not to any of the asia parks yeah when you go there you'll see some of my sister-in-law's brother's work because he was he did the Can't asia wait. parks all right it is time now for me to warn those that are just listening in that i'm going to be sharing my screen but i will give you read out the website so you can contact jeff so get your pencil and paper or pen and paper so if you want to go to his website, it is thewisdomofwalt.com, thewisdomofwalt.com. And he has the social media. You can get him at Facebook at The Wisdom of Walt. Twitter is Dr. Disneyland. Again, Twitter is Dr. Disneyland. LinkedIn is Jeff R. I'm sorry, yeah, Jeffrey A. Barnes, that's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-A, like Apple, dot B-A-R-N-E-S. And Instagram is Dr. Disneyland. So, Jeff, would you just tell them a little bit about what your gift is? So, if they sign up for my blog, I have... Um seven leadership lessons from uh, the happiest place on earth. And you can get a feel uh, for the writing, a feel for the leadership lessons and the takeaways. And you're going to instantly understand how you can become a better leader by understanding Walt, understanding the magic kingdom. And I, I like to call them souvenir stops because when you go to Disneyland, you like to take things home and as a leader, you're going to be able to take things and apply them immediately mm -hmm. uh, from this quick, enjoyable, and magical read. Awesome. So again, please visit Jeff at thewisdomofwalt.com. Well, it has been, as I knew it would be, you did not disappoint. So enjoyable. I could talk to you all night long. <laughs> I definitely am going to check out your book. I am going to definitely look at your class. This conversation is not going to end. We will talk again for sure. So, so wonderful to have you as a guest. And everyone, please go to his website and uh, see how he can enlighten you with his great wisdom about Walt and Disneyland. As always, I'd like to remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you 
to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nethling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nethling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.